The Gospel lesson for this morning comes from the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. This morning I want to share with you verses 13 through 16 and invite you to stand in reverence to the reading of the Gospel. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray together. God, open our hearts and our minds by the inspiration of Your Holy Spirit, that as Your Word is proclaimed on this day, we would receive it with joy. Amen. So today is indeed our church conference here in the sanctuary at 2 o'clock. A couple of things I want to reiterate and remind you of. Check-in starts at 1 o'clock. Try and get here early. Think about it this way. I think we have 2,700 members. Potentially could show up. It's going to take us a while to process everybody and get them in. So what I'm asking is get here early and come to the parlor and you'll go to the table where your last name, you'll get your ballot. And instead of congregating in the lobby, I know that is our temptation. We are church people. We like to talk and fellowship. But instead of doing that in the lobby, I invite you after you get your ballot to come on in the sanctuary and find a seat. And if you want to fellowship some in here, that's good. But we need to keep the lobby uh, open and the traffic flow moving so that we can get everybody in so that we can start at, uh, start at 2 o'clock. I'll go ahead and state the obvious. Today's going to be a tough day. It already is a tough day. I can feel, and I'm sure you can feel, the tension and the anxiety and even the fear in the air. So I want to remind you again that everybody's doing the best that they can do. Nobody's been here before. We're going to get through this. But I do have a request. After the ballots are counted and after the results are announced, emotions are going to be high. What I ask is no cheering, no clapping, no celebrating. Because here's the thing. There are no winners today. There are no winners today. We are a church. And we're in the midst of a storm. So continue to pray. Pray for our church, our denomination, our clergy, our staff. Pray for each other. Pray that God's Holy Spirit would come upon this place today. 
and move amongst us. I think it's fitting that we finish up today's or this month's sermon series. We've been looking at the membership vows, the question that we are asked when we join the church, the the five promises that we make as members, and also I think those are five things that we also are called to do as disciples of Jesus. We've looked at prayers, we've looked at presents, we've looked at gifts and service, and today we wrap things up with witness. Again, it's fitting. As disciples of Christ, we're called to be witnesses to the world. And whether we realize it or not, people are watching us today. All around the South Carolina Annual Conference, people are watching Buncombe Street today. So what is our witness going to be? I told you last week that when you flip to the uh, question in your hymnal, uh, the word witness does not show up. It's the fifth vow that was added in 2008, and our hymnal was printed in 1989 and so we always have to remember to add that extra vow in there for whatever reason it took us that long to figure out that as Christians we're called to witness but we finally got it and so witness is indeed part of that membership promise that we make now if you look that word up in the dictionary it's got two different uh, meanings or connotations Uh, witness can be a noun which is a, a person that gives evidence or someone who has personal knowledge of something but A witness is also a verb. It's an action word. To witness is to see something take place. Or to have knowledge of an event from a personal observation or experience. So if I were to come up with a a good working definition of the word witness, I would say a witness is someone who gives evidence or personal knowledge about what they saw, heard, or experienced. Let me say it again. A witness... Is someone who gives evidence or personal knowledge about what they have seen, heard, or experienced. Isn't that what we are called to do as followers of Jesus? To, to, to give evidence and personal knowledge about what we have seen, about what we have heard, and what we have experienced by having Jesus Christ in our lives. For a few minutes, I want us to take a, a, another look, in-depth look at what it means to be a witness And I want to talk about being a witness today from a scenario that I want to share with you that I'm sure that we have all experienced. How many of you have ever been in a group of people that you might not know very well? And conversation begins and you start getting to know this person and at some point in the conversation, either you ask or the other person asks, so, what do you do for a living? Anybody ever had that happen to them? So what do you do? For whatever reason, it's like an easy question for us to kind of get to know one another. And and really when people ask that or when we ask that, they're wanting to know exactly what we do for a living, our job, our career, our vocation. And most of the time we we answer that back. And for whatever reason, society and culture define us by our careers. Now I will tell you I hate that question. I hate that question. I'll, I'll give you a prime example of why I hate. And hate's probably a strong word. Really, probably not. Jesus doesn't like that. But I dislike that question, okay? And here's why. I, you, most of you know that I, I do police chaplaincy work. And I started about six or seven years ago. And I remember early on, the group of 
guys and girls that I was attached to, they would do this to me all the time. We would be on a, a crime scene, and I hadn't met some of the other officers, and so they would just let those officers say and act and do like they normally do. I remember very specifically at 1.30 one morning, we were in a rough part of town, and we were looking for something specific on the ground and, and, and there was a group of us and I was with one of my handlers and there was this lieutenant that was with us that I'd never met and, and he's talking about what happened and he's using all these colorful adjectives to, to describe what's going on, right? And so he pays no attention to me for about 10 minutes and then he flashes his light and said, who are you? And what are you doing here? To which my handler said, oh, that's our chaplain. Every time this is what happens, I get the apology. He said, well, I am so sorry about all that language you just heard. I said, I am so sorry that that's the best you've got. <laughs> but if you want to, 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 to really kill a party, you take me or one of the other clergy with you and don't tell anybody who we are. <laughs> just let us kind of mingle with people for a while. And then you introduce us as your pastor. I promise you, the mood of the party changes. Right? No more good stories. No more good jokes. People apologize. So I've even tried to come up with, you know, what can I say when people ask me that? To, not that I'm ashamed of being a pastor, but it does kind of change the whole room. And so what I've come up with now when somebody asks me, what do you do? I just say, well, I work for my father. took some of you a minute, didn't it? So what do you do? How do you define yourself? I think we are much more than our jobs, careers, or vocations. There are all kinds of other aspects of our life that, that define us. We're sons and daughters and parents and grandparents and friends. And the list can go on and on and on, but probably the most important part of who we are, the most important part of our DNA, is that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ. In our gospel lesson today, Jesus and the disciples are traveling around the Sea of Galilee and, and Jesus' popularity is growing and so the crowd that follows Jesus around is growing and in chapter 5 of Matthew's gospel it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on the mountainside and He sat down. And His disciples came to Him and they, then He began to teach them. Now if you're a Bible scholar, you know that this section that I'm reading from and preaching from today is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus, imagine, is sitting here on this mountainside, this hillside, and there's acres upon acres of human beings surrounding Him. And there's all kinds of people in the congregation that day. There, there are farmers and fishermen and tax collectors and, and rich people and poor people. It's a motley crew of people. It's a cross-section of, uh, of the community and of humanity. And as, di as different as they all were, Jesus understood that they were all longing for the same thing. They were all longing to find out what this following Jesus thing was all about. They were searching for purpose in their lives. And so on that day, Jesus shares with them what their purpose is, what their, their job is, what they are called to do as, as followers of His. He tells them that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Jesus spoke to those people so long ago, He speaks to us today. He says to us this morning, Buncombe Street, you are the salt of the earth. 
Buncombe Street, you are the light of the world. Buncombe Street, you are to be my witnesses in the world. So what does it mean? What does it mean for us to be salt and light? I'm sure that the the people there that day that, that heard Jesus preach and teach wondered the same thing. What is He talking about when He says we're supposed to be salt and light? How can we do that? Now, we don't know exactly the aspect of salt that Jesus was referring to, but you start doing some research about salt and you find that salt is used for multiple things. It's used to preserve. It's used to add flavor. It's used to cleanse. It's, it has value in some cultures. In our dealings with people. We must show compassion. We must respond to, to people in need. We must be, as Martin Luther said, little Christ in the world around us. We are to called to preserve and we're called to add flavor and we're called to add value to our families and our church and our communities and our world. Our saltiness rubs off on those around us. No matter what we do for a living, there are opportunities each day for us to be the salt to the world. Jesus goes on to say, not only are you salt, but you're light. Light might be a little easier to understand. Light has some of the same qualities as salt. Light is utterly distinct from darkness. Light guides us. It, it cheers us up. It brightens us up. It illuminates. It helps us to see where we're really uh, going. It helps us to, to, to see our way. It livens up the atmosphere. Without light, the world is dark and dreary. If we as followers of Jesus were living as true lights of the world, then we would illuminate the way for people to find their way out of darkness. We would be telling people how following Jesus has illuminated our lives. We would be sharing our faith because the news is too good for us to keep to ourselves. When we tell someone about Jesus, the light of the world, we are shining a light on a path that could bring them hope, peace, joy that nothing else in the world can give them like that. Thirdly, Jesus adds a little extra something to the light illustration, right? He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and hides it under a bushel basket. You remember the song, right? Just as a lamp on a lampstand brings light to the entire house, so we too are called to shed our light so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Here's the way I understand that. Everything we do, we should be doing to the glory of God. Everything we do, we should be doing to the glory of God. How many of you have ever heard of a person named Brother Lawrence? Anybody? Brother Lawrence was a French monk. He lived from around 1611 to 1691. And he wrote a little book called The Practice of Presence. And in the book, he writes these words about letting our light shine, about glorifying God in all that we do. He said, it is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. And when it's finished, if I have nothing to do, I position myself on the ground and adore my God and who gave me the grace to make it. After which I arise more content than a king. People seek for methods of learning to love God. They hope to arrive at it by 
I know not how many different practices. They take too much trouble to remain in the presence of God in a quantity of ways. It is not, is it not much shorter, even more direct, to just do everything for the love of God? To make sure all of the labors of one's state of life is to show Him that love and to maintain His presence within us by this communion of our hearts with His. There's no finesse about it. One only has to do it generously and simply. And everything he did, Brother Lawrence, did it for the love of God. He did it to let his light shine through to others. What about us today? What do we do? Who are we? Maybe the next time someone asks you that question, you'll answer this way. Maybe you'll say, well, I'm God's salt in the world. I'm here to preserve and to add flavor and to care for people around me. Or maybe you'll say, I'm God's light in the world, illuminating and directing and showing people the way to Jesus. Maybe you'll say, I'm a lamp on a lampstand. Not hiding my light under it, but holding it up for the world to see so that God may be glorified. Or maybe you don't change your response at all. When someone asks, what do you do? You answer them the same way you've always answered them. You tell them what you do for a living. But then you go out and live as salt and light in the world. Eugene Peterson in the message translate today's gospel lesson this way. He says, let me tell you why you're here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You are here to be light. To bring out the God colors in the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.